Gospels. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Titus. Uh, we continue on in our series um, on uh, uh, the family, uh, on uh, what it means to uh, what what a you know what a, a biblical family, a healthy family looks like, um, and, and and just God's design um, for the family, but uh, but for us in general as men and women of God who um, he has given um, specific roles and given to us uh, his, uh, his word to teach us and direct us and guide us in these things. So tonight we are going to look at Titus chapter 2, and we'll look at the, just the first five verses of, of Titus chapter 2. So Titus chapter 2. Uh, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 5. And let me, let me say, uh, if you're physically able to do so, I do want us to stand, uh, if you're physically able to do so, as we honor God's holy and written word. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 1, going through verse 5, I pray you and I would hear the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. But speak ye the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of home, at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Let's pray. Father, as we take up our text um, and as we transition from the men to the, the women, we pray that you would help us to embrace what your word says in every aspect of, of what your word teaches. Help us to rejoice in it, to, uh, to, uh, to, to revel in your revelation. And God, we, we praise you for your mercy and grace that you give us in Christ. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you. Be seated. There, there is an old saying that actions speak louder than words. I think probably most of us, all of us, have, have probably heard that at one point in time or another. Uh, and, and I think this is really revealed within the, the lives of, of not just families, certainly families and family units, but I think, I think more so, or just as importantly, within the lives of, of each and every one of us who proclaim and, and claim the name of Jesus Christ. Um, after all, we know when uh, we're being um, neglected or when we're, uh, when we're enjoying uh, peace with those around us. We know when others are generally happy. We know when we are happy. We know what it means to be happy. And, and even the family, when we're talking about family, we, we enjoy, uh, we, we know what, what the peace and the order and the relative safety that, is, that, that happens when the family is structured in accordance with the Word of God. And not in accordance with, with culture or, or anything else. And the same is true for the, for the local church. The same, the same is true for us as God's people. We know that when we abide by the teachings of Scripture, we know what it means for us to, to, be, to enjoy order and peace and relative safety, right? As we're structured in accordance with the Word of God. As we worship according to the Word of God. As we love one another in accordance with the Word of God, Right? Uh, I think that all of us would say that, that not a single one of us would ever want to, to, to be apart from this, uh, apart from operating our lives, our, our, our families, our lives, uh, or whatever the case may be, in accordance with anything other than the Word of God, if we're in Christ. But sadly, in today's culture, there are so many competing voices 
uh, not, not just for the family, but also even for individuals, right? For us who are in Christ, so many competing uh, sounds, so many, and, and I know it's always been the case, but, but even more so now, I think there, there are these, all of these voices clamoring for all of these different realities. In today's culture, unless you're a biologist, you can't apparently define what a woman is. Or if, uh, or the the reality is that uh, apparently, unless you're a biologist, you can't even you can't even define what a man is. And we're told that trans women, which are women pretending to be men, are women, and or, or, or but they're actually men. And trans men who are women women who want to be men are men, though they're still women. But womanhood, at its core, at its core, is not about a personality or a state of mind, or it is not about what you and I think but it's what God has designed, right? And, 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 and let me say this, right? So, so and because I know that, that women come in, in all shapes and in all sizes and in all, all things, you know, just because a woman loves sports or hunting or fishing or cars, she's still a woman, right? Uh, just because she has these loves, she can love interior design or shopping and shoes and still be a woman. Because both personalities fall well within the, within the boundaries of what God has designed a woman to be. And I think it's important for us to understand that at the end of the day, femininity is rooted in who God has created a woman to be through biological composition and inward spirit. And I think that's important for us to remember. It's not dependent upon interests or hobbies or personalities or social whims. It's not dependent upon uh, thoughts or thought processes or what you wish were the case. But this morning or this evening, what I want us to do is I want us to see how God has rooted and has grounded what it means to be a woman of God in our scripture and what it means for, for women to embrace to embrace the reality that, that as Christians, they're called to be women of God. You're called as ladies, you're called to, to love Christ. You're called to serve Christ. You're called to honor Christ in your, in your lives and in your hobbies and in your interests and in, and in the way that you love others, whether that is within the construct of a family or if you don't have a, a family, within the construct of, of the local church. And so, what I want to do is I want, to, I want us to dive into this, but before I do, let me make a couple real quick just reviews of where we've been in this, in this sermon series. So Vince has, has graciously helped me as, as we've preached through this, and so we've talked about a couple different things. We first talked about the, the idea of the creation, the fall, and the redemption of, of mankind, of humankind as a, as a whole, that, that, that men and women have inherent dignity and worth and are bearers of the image of God. That we who are both men and women because of the fall are imperfect and we are sinful. That men and women then who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and by faith alone in Christ alone are able to embrace the roles God has given us within our society and has endowed us in the ways that he has created us to live these designs out in our world and in our local church. But specifically, right, the, the Christian woman has a variety, just like the Christian man, has a variety of roles and responsibilities. So it, as Vince has, has introduced it, uh, let me just go ahead and say it. I, I too, am, am a complementarian, which means that God has, I believe, God has designed man and woman with complementary gifts 
uh, and settings, which means that men and women are created with equal dignity and worth. They're assigned distinct roles and responsibilities, and these roles and responsibilities are most pronounced in the homes and in the local church. I don't believe, and I don't scripture believe scripture teaches for one second, that man or woman are better than the other. We are both inherently uh, given the worth by God because we are both created in the image of God. And even that, while it's not ideal, right, there are times when a godly man or a godly woman, uh, because they have been abandoned uh, or because through death or through, through divorce or through other things, right, they are, they are in fact able to, while not ideal, to live out the, uh, and, and raise godly children or, or, or raise uh, or to be godly men and women despite what they've been faced or what they face. Um, also, let me say that physical anomalies and psychological conditions do not nullify what God has decreed. And so adopting an effeminate homosexual or transgender gender, inward self-conception or outward gender identity is not consistent with God's purpose in creation. So with that out of the way, let me say this, right? Because I, I just don't want to rail against those things. I, that's not my purpose. But in saying that, I do want to give you rather what God's word gives us instead of this. And first and foremost, ladies, let, let me say to you, God has called you, right? I think most of the time we think that women or that men are called to sound doctrine and women are just sort of called to, to, get up the, to, to take up the scraps of whatever's left over. But as we approach Titus chapter 2, the reality is, listen to what he says to the, to the older men and then listen to how he applies it to the older women as well. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But speak the things which become sound doctrine. And then he says in verse 2, That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. And the aged women, here's the word, likewise. The aged women, likewise. In other words, men are not the only ones who are called to know and to love sound doctrine. Men and women are called to know and to love sound doctrine. We are to know and to love that, that the, the, the core teaching of what God has revealed to us in the word of God. There is no, there is no debate, there's no distinction in that sense that women and men are to give themselves to the teaching of scripture. They're supposed to know what the Bible says, you as much as I. And I would say this, this applies to every single woman, married and unmarried, whether including widows and single people, right? So just because you may not be beholden to a husband at this point doesn't mean that you're still not called to, to, to submit to Christ. You are called to live in the truth of God's word, right? After all, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 28, and 32, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it's good for them to remain even as I am. That's Paul speaking and being single. But even if you marry, you, do not, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Right. So, so whether we're married, whether ladies, whether you're married or unmarried, the reality is, is God has called you to serve him. And the gospel then serves as the foundation for our sound doctrine. We need to have the right gospel, right, which is the, the gospel as, as is revealed in the text of Scripture, 
We need to have the right, truthful, sound doctrine, the teaching that, that we are all, because of the fall in Adam and Eve, sinful, uh, rebellious against God, and we are headed for destruction but in Christ, God has provided the way of salvation so that God, by coming, by sending his own son as the second person of the Godhead and sending him, clothing him, and he clothed in human flesh, lived perfectly before, before the world and died in our place, having never sinned, having never done anything wrong, died upon the cross. And on the third day, God vindicated his own son by declaring that his sacrifice was, was acceptable by raising him from the dead on the third day. This is, the, this is the truth that we believe. This is the truth, the Christian faith that we, that we declare. As A.W. Pink has said, service becomes a snare and an evil if it is allowed to crowd out worship and the cultivation of one's own spiritual life. Sisters, I, I would say to you that you are called to know Scripture. You are called to know what the Bible teaches. You are called to know what God has said. You are not called to just pick up the scraps and the leftovers that your husbands leave behind or that other men leave behind. You are called to know the Word. You are called to love the Scripture. And so give yourselves to the teaching of the Scriptures. Do not apologize for giving yourselves to the teaching of Scripture. Know the word, love the word, love and hide it in your heart and your mind. Pray it, love it, seek it out, read it regularly. And in all of this, in saying this, what, what else does he say about ladies, about you as, as, as women? Not just men, but also as, as women too, right? Well, he tells us that as women seeking sound doctrine, right, you are called to honor him in your in exercising your your discernment and your prayer and knowing what it is exactly that God has called you to. And this leads me, I think, to the second reality, which is that that not only are you to know as women of God sound doctrine, but you're also to know what it means to live in uh, in a way that is centered upon and empowered by the Holy Spirit, right, the, the, centered upon the gospel, empowered by the Spirit. And the Bible tells us very clearly here, ladies, what that looks like. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, first and foremost, he, after he talks about the older men, he then goes on to the older women. And, and listen to what he says to the older ladies. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, at this time, in this culture, 60 and older would have been considered an older woman. So it says... The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becomes holiness, not false accusers, not giving to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And so older women are called to, because they know the, sound, the soundness of the scriptures, the truth of God's word, the sound doctrine that God has commanded them to, they are then called to do something. They are called to teach the younger women. And so older women are called then, as a woman of God, to what? To live a life that is lived well. In other words, when Paul writes to, to Titus, right, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Titus, you go teach the young women. He says, no, 
you tell the young women to go teach, you go tell the older women to teach the younger women how they are to live. He does not tell Titus to do this. He tells, instructs Titus to instruct the older women to go do this. But he does not tell Titus that this is his responsibility. He says, Titus, as a pastor and as an elder there in Crete, you are to instruct the older women that they are to teach the younger women. How can they teach the younger women unless they know sound doctrine? Unless they know sound teaching? Unless they are grounded in the gospel? And so we see that these ladies then are called to instruct with not just their words, but also with their lives. And that's why he says that these aged women, they are to, they are to be in behavior as becomes holiness. And in other words, what he's saying there is these older ladies are to be reverent in their behavior. They're to be reverent in their behavior. And, and by the way, the word reverent is only used here in, 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 this, in this text and it conveys the idea of being a representative. Ladies, you are called to be a representative of Christ, acting as a representative of God and of Christ in this world to, to others around us, to encourage those who are in Christ also to live reverently and honorably in holiness. Older women are to live then, as, as, as Paul uses this word reverent here, or, or uh, become, uh, in behaviors becomes holiness, as the King James says. What, what is it that he's saying? Well, he's saying, ultimately, that women you have, as an older lady, you have the sacred responsibility to be ambassadors and priests serving in the presence of God to the other young women. You are a walking temple of God as consecrated by God to be a living sacrifice and a bondservant of Christ for the glory of Christ in the way you teach others to live for Christ. And so, ladies, this is your calling. You're called to live a life that's well-lived. But second of all, there, there's a second part of this living empowered by the gospel, which is that these, these are, ladies, you're called to live your lives with words that are filled with grace and love. And that's why he says here in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, he says, after he says, behavior has becomes holiness, and he says, not as false accusers. Now, the interesting thing about this is that in what Paul is saying is, ready for this? They're not to be slanderers. Ladies, just the same as men, you are not called to slander. And it's interesting that twice in his epistles, Paul targets women in their behavior and their habits of their speech. Because he is saying that it's a spiritual qualifier or a spiritual disqualifier for how you speak. Right, and so, so Paul isn't saying that this is just for women, right? This, he's not saying that this is only happens for women, right? This is a universal problem we all face, Right? But Paul does specifically target the ladies within the church to guard their tongues. 1 Timothy 3.11 says, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers. T speaking of deacons, temp uh, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. And the fact that Paul, or that Paul now writes to Titus and says, Titus, the older ladies who are supposed to be teaching the younger ladies cannot be slanderers. They cannot slander other people. They must be holy, not just in their actions, but also in their words. And it is, let me point this out to you. When he talks about slanderers, do you know that the word used here for slander 
is the same word from which we translate the word devil. Diablos. Devil. And so he's saying, Paul is clearly saying, women who slander, and men who slander for that matter, anyone who slanders is what? From their father, the devil. He is saying that if, you, if a woman or, or a man slanders, they are acting as the devil. They're acting just like Satan, who has been a false accuser and so incites against the work of, of God and Christ in the world. Because Satan is ultimately the ultimate source here of, of slander. And James even will go on to say that the tongue is the cause of great evil. And he doesn't, of course, he, he doesn't add men or women. He just says universally, this is the reality. But in Titus 2, it is applied to the, to the truthfulness of, of how women speak and how they teach with their lives as well as with their words. But he goes on and he says they're, they're to have a balanced lifestyle because he goes on and he talks about them not being, excuse me, they are to be sober. Right? In other words, they're not to be slaves to a, a, a wine. Um, they're to be, in other words, what he's saying is they're to be self-controlled and moderate in their lifestyles. Right? They're, coming, they're coming to Christ. They're coming to Christ. God saving them changed them, transformed them. And godly women are self-controlled in their lives. Godly women seek to be reverent in their behavior, careful in their conversation, and never enslaved to anything but Christ. But then he goes on and he starts talking about some more positive things here when he says that they are to, what? Love their husbands and their children to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So, so, so hang with me here, okay? So when Paul is saying this, what he is saying is, ladies are to teach what is good. You are called to teach what is good. And it's interesting that Paul starts and ends this third verse with the very same thought. Listen to what he says. That they be in behavior that has become holiness. And they close, he closes it out by saying teachers of good things. And then he closes out verse 4 with the same thought. They are to love their husbands and to love their children. And the, the very end of verse 5 too, he he clings to the same idea that the word of God not be blasphemed. Do you see how Paul, Paul is, is applying all of this back to this reality of not being slanderers, but rather teaching what is good, teaching what is good. And so he wants the older ladies to train others in the pattern of their behavior as they've learned. And yes, while Paul certainly does in this in this particular text, certainly does have in, in view the older women and the younger women and their, their relationship. This isn't just, they're not just to teach, right, the, the, the younger women, because it says they're to teach that the younger women are to do what? To love their husbands and to love their children. And so the, the, the younger women and the older women are to be doing the same, loving their children, loving their, loving their husbands, making sure that they're loving one another. And I'll say this, I will, I, my very first Sunday school teacher, was a lady by the name of Mrs. Johnny Bunch. Mrs. Johnny was a deacon's wife. 
And she loved Jesus. I will never forget being five years old, sitting in a class, and hearing her talk about Jesus and how we are to love Jesus. And she didn't go for the she didn't go for the moralistic kind of stories about oh you know make Jesus happy today. No, she she preached the gospel to us. I remember as a five year old little boy sitting in the class, being being enthralled of how she she would connect the stories back to Christ. And it's an amazing reality. And ladies, I would say to you that, that you are called to, to remember that this is your calling to the ladies and to the children, and that you are to be godly in your, in your behavior and in your conversations. You are to be, as I think as, as Jesus would say um, when he was rebuking Martha, he told Martha that Mary had chosen the better part and was not going to take that away from her. Ladies, choose the better part. Choose to know Christ, to proclaim Christ's gracious lordship. Sit at his feet, learn, grow, teach the other women who are in Christ. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, it says, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Well, this is true. Paul is saying that for the, for the, uh, for the younger women, uh, for the older women. He is t- telling them to follow his example as well. And he's saying, look, you follow your elders and your pastors. You follow the, you follow your, the, the older men and the, 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 the men of God in your congregation. But you also teach with your life. You teach them. You help them understand what they're called to do. And the goal of all of this, then, was that the older women would teach the younger women. Teach them what? Well, they were to, first of all, they were to teach, they were to urge, they were to admonish, right, to train them to be self-controlled, to love their husbands, to love their children, to honor, to honor their families. And truthfully, brothers and sisters, we live in a time in which this is revolutionary. Right? Like, this wasn't that long ago that this was just, just plain. But if you want to be revolutionary... Get married, have a bunch of kids, and go to church. Honor the Lord. Like if that's what you want to, if you want to be, if you want to be countercultural and revolutionary in our society today, that's what it looks like. Get married, have a bunch of kids, love Jesus, and go to church. And this is what Titus says. Titus says that because of 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 their lifestyles and their words. These older ladies are to teach the younger women. Now, it doesn't mean the younger women are off the hook, not at all, because they are called to love their husbands and their children, right? Um, Now, I will say this, that Paul uses this idea here to draw from a a very clear focus of, of what was desirable within the culture at that day. Matter of fact, they would talk of the two virtues, the cardinal virtues of young women, which was, which were these that they love their husbands, they love their children, they're loyal, they they love them, and they they're honorable women in their and they're honorable in their lifestyles. But he goes on and talks about how they're to be self-controlled. In other words, a balanced lifestyle, controlled, controlled by the Spirit of God, loving Christ and not the world, because that's what he talks about them. They are, that women are to be pure, chaste, right? They're to be discreet, chaste. They are to be women who, are, who love, not just what's morally pure, but their love is to be free from the love of the world. Ladies, don't let the world dictate to you how you are to look, think, or act. Love Christ. And let him dictate to you what you are to love, to think, and to, to know. 
Also, he goes on and he says, the older women in teaching this is that they're to be, the, the younger ladies are to, to work, right? They're to work and, and they're to work hard in the, in the home and they're not to neglect their duties in, in their home or, or elsewhere, right? We have Proverbs 31. We have Proverbs 31 that teaches us, you know, what a, what a woman, uh, what, a, what a godly woman uh, is supposed to be aspiring to and honoring Christ uh, in her life, what that looks like. But, but even more than that, we have examples like Lydia and others who were faithful in the face of, of, of widowhood and other things who were faithful in their lives and in their business dealings. And I would say to us that we are called as, 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 as men and women to honor God in the duties that he has called us to, whatever that looks like, right? Because honestly, I realize that not every lady is able to, to, to stay at home. That, that's the ideal, but it's not always the case, right? Um, my wife doesn't. Uh, she, she, she works, uh, unfortunately, but, but she has to. And, and so we, we honor Christ in that. And so I understand that that's, that's not always the case. But, but it, whether or not the wife works in the home or outside of the home, the reality is, is that they are to be faithful in whatever they do. But they're also to be known for their kindness. And this is what Paul goes on to, to exhort the young, the, 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 uh, the elder here, uh, Titus, to tell the women they are, to, they are to be keepers of home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And I, I want to talk about that in just a minute, but uh, uh, obedient to their husbands and what that means. But in the meantime, let me just say, when God calls us, as, calls you as women of God to be kind, what he's calling you to is to be good-natured and of good character. Be good-natured and of good character. And then he does go on and says, be obedient to your own husbands. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me make a, a few comments on this. Um, because this, this type of idea has severely been misused and abused. Um, and the idea has, has been that, you know, I'm the man, therefore you have to do what I say. Um, I grew up in that culture, not with my parents, but with my grandparents. I was mainly what, you know, my, my grandpa, one of my grandpas wanted something. He would say, woman, go get me whatever. And he expected her to do it uh, without question. And the reality is, is that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul, when he says, obey your husbands, he's not saying like a, like a kid does a parent or like an employee does an employer, right? That's not the idea here. But rather, what it's saying, what Paul is saying here, is to place themselves under the authority of their husbands, right? This doesn't change their dignity or their value or their worth, but instead acknowledges that the marital relationship, right, in the marital relationship, there is a picture that is being painted, and that is of Christ and the church, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. There's a picture in the wife being, 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 placing herself under her husband's protection and authority of a picture that's being painted of Christ and his church. Just as Christ is under, is the church is under the authority of Christ, so the wife represents the church and the husband represents Christ. And I think it's important because one commentator said this, God tells the children that they must obey their parents and that they have no option in, in obeying their parents, in, in honoring them, in doing good. However, he goes on and says, is the verb here is never used in reference to the interaction of a husband and wife. In contrast, 
this phrase talks about two people who are equal of value and worth in God's eyes. One, the wife, placing herself as an equal underneath another equal, who is her husband, in order that they may together structure and function within the family unit as God has designed. The purpose is then to meet the design that God has ordered. Submission does not allow for dictatorial behavior on the part of the husband and no way implies the superiority of the husband. And I think this is true across the board. Any man who would see himself as being superior is, 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 is wrong. He's wrong. Because the goal here is what? What is the goal? The goal of this relationship, even though... Even though God is not directly, through the Apostle Paul, directing the husbands, he is still directing the wives and the husbands for what end and to what purpose. Because he talks about the older men, and then he'll talk about the younger men here in just a minute. But what is the purpose of these relationships? Look with me here in verse 5, the very end. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. When we dishonor one another in our marriage covenants, we open God's word to being blasphemed. We open, we open ourselves and our, our, our relationships to criticism and the blaspheming of the, of the word of God. And so we must be careful to live in such a way that honors Christ, men and women. But ladies specifically, since we've talked so many weeks about men, we need, to, we need to address the reality that as women of God, you are called to live in such a way just like your brothers. You are called to live in such a way that the word of God is not to be reviled or blasphemed. So how, how do I want to summarize this? I, I know it's not a, not a long sermon, but how do I want to summarize this? How, how do I want to encourage us? Well, I hope that what, what you will do is that you will see in this text, you will see that you don't have to apologize for being a woman. You do not need to apologize for being a woman. God has called you and has placed you as a woman in the role that he has placed you in. And so God then has called you to use every gift that he has given you to promote and to nurture the beauty within the body of Christ. Older women teaching the younger women, but women impacting the world. You know, the old saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It's true. Husbands then are called to listen, to live in a worthy way, to be honored and respected as well, right? Because all of this, all of this in Titus 2, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, all of this is given so that we would know how to interact with one another in a gospel way. And so wives then are to share their thoughts and their desires with their husbands to carry out the calling that God has placed upon the family and themselves and the leadership of the, of the local church. And single ladies are called to minister in the context of the local church to devote themselves to it as well. As God has revealed, God has ordered and structured each one of these for his glory and his honor. Brothers and sisters, the world has for far too long been allowed to define the definitions. We are called to live in a way where we do not allow 
the enemies of God to define the terms. They don't get to define what a woman or a man is. They don't get to define the relationships that God has given and ordered and structured in this world. We live in accordance with the word of God. Let our desire be in accordance with the word of God. Not with our desires, not with our feelings, but by truth. Let us live for the glory of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, my prayer in this sermon is that you would help us, each and every one, to to not just know the, the, the truth, certainly to do that, and to know the truth, but also to live the truth out in our lives. What, whatever, whatever station and lot in life we may find ourselves, let us be faithful as, 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 uh, as men and women for the glory and the sake of Christ. We thank you that none of this is possible apart from Christ, but that we find our ability to do what we're called to do, not in of ourselves, but in Christ. So help us to live faithfully, Help us to live honorably. Help us to live not according to the dictates of a society and culture that has lost its mind, but God, live in accordance with the truth of the word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name.